it is good to see you tonight and just a privilege to be able to come and worship together. And thank you to the team for leading us tonight in just some beautiful gospel songs. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. It's going to be our main text tonight. And as we said last week, we are coming to a close on the Bible series, uh, which is bittersweet. Uh, it'll be exciting to kind of move into some different things in the coming weeks, uh, but also sad as we've been in this journey all year long. And so if you're just joining us now uh, in the series, uh, this is a good place if you want to pick up several books of the Bible very quickly, going through some of these epistles, First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, Jude, you can, you can say you've read several books of the Bible this week. And you can probably do that in a short amount of time. So it's great to jump in if you haven't already. And just want to welcome those who are watching online as well. If you can't be with us this weekend uh, to be able to be at home and worship the Lord with your family, excited to be able to be together this way. So let's uh, jump straight in into this passage. And, and this text we're going to be looking at tonight is a similar theme that not, it's not just in First John, it's also in the Apostle John's other writings. And we see in and Second Peter and Jude, and it's really a word of warning uh, about false teachers and false prophets. And so let's just dive in together. First John chapter two, and we're going to start in verse 18. Children, and I'll just pause there for a second. As you're reading through these books, especially as you're reading through First John or Second John, Third John, you're going to see this kind of language, and it's family language, it's familial language. And so it's important, there's going to be some hard things he's going to say, but it's important to see this from the beginning. And as you're reading through the book, you see this, my children, my little children, the apostles love for these churches. Like the things that he is saying to them, the things that he's saying to us as the people of God, the Holy Spirit saying, he says, because we are children, because we are loved, because he cares about us. So even though there's some hard things, there's some challenging uh, words and, and uh, corrections even in 1 John and some of these other epistles, they're spoken out of desire to love us and to help us love God more. Children, it is the last hour. As you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed, speaking about the Spirit's presence in our lives, by the Holy One. And you have all knowledge. We have access to all knowledge because of the Word of God and this presence of the Spirit. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, that the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. And he's speaking of special revelation, not, not gospel revelation, because he is teaching them right now. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it is taught to you, abide in him. 
And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practiced righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. This is the word of the Lord. And there's so much in this text. I'm so thankful we get to dive into it together and so much that we won't be able to get to, but it's just a, a challenging passage about pursuing the truth in Christ. So I just wanna pray for us again. The Holy Spirit would help us understand what he has for us through the word. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you again for your word, the truth of it, and ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to receive your word to repent where we need to repent, to confess where we need to confess, to walk by faith and obedience where we need to walk by faith and obedience. We pray that you would meet us here where we are. We thank you that all of that's possible because of Jesus. And it's his name we pray, amen, amen. A couple weeks ago, I got a text from my wonderful wife and the text was, hey, we should wear these in a couple weeks talking about this weekend. And we have a picture of it, I think, of the shirt that she sent me. And so that my awesome church history wife sent this to me and not because it was Halloween, but because today's Reformation Day. And so if you know who this guy is, it's Martin Luther. And we celebrate on this day uh, where over 500 years ago, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door of the church. So that's the nailed it thing in case you're not sure what's going on there. Uh, I was talking to Laura Cabas tonight. She said it would have been more effective if I would have worn the shirt, that it would have driven the point home. So she's great at puns. So anyways, that, but I was afraid of having a Martin Luther head on, on my chest all night long might be too much of a distraction to you. So we decided not to do that tonight. Uh, but 500 years ago, this guy, along with many others, started the Protestant Reformation. And there were some incredible things that, that they did. They, they fought against this idea that the way we are saved is through our good works. And so the church at that time taught that you had to have indulgences and you had to have penance and you had to go through all these different things in order to be saved so that God would love you and save you. And God, in, and you can read through the story, just in his miraculous grace, saved Luther out of that, opened his eyes through reading Romans 1.17, that we are justified by faith, the just will live by faith. And so he began sharing this message and he began teaching this message. He helped translate the Bible from Latin into German. So his common people, they had no access to this book that we have access to. And there were so many things that he did. But all those things that happened, and he wasn't the only one, he wasn't perfect by any means, but the reformers, they, they made a difference. They stood up against false teaching and false doctrine. And honestly, we would not be able to enjoy the gospel the way we do today if it hadn't been for some of these men and women of the faith who went before us and fought against these false teachers. But false teachers and deception are no new thing to the church. And that's specifically what John is addressing, the apostle John is addressing in the churches that he's writing to. And what he says in these words that we just read and what Martin Luther fought against 500 years ago is actually something that we have to fight against today. It's reality that we face. And this is our big truth for tonight is this, Antichrist are all around us. Antichrists 
are all around us. This, this is the message of this text that we read. This is the reality that Luther was fighting against 500 years ago. First John 2:18 says this, children, it's the last hour. As you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. So he's not referring to the man of lawlessness that we see in 2 Thessalonians, but he's saying that there are many antichrists, literally someone who's opposed to Christ, speaking against Christ, speaking against the gospel. He's saying there are many of these. And they're not just out there in the world somewhere, but he says that they have come from within the church itself. Verse 22 says, this is the antichrist. He who denies the father and the son. So it's people who are directly opposing the message of the gospel, directly opposing the proclamation of the Trinity. And this isn't just a message that, that John says, but this is a common theme throughout the New Testament. The apostle Peter says this, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. He's writing to the church. He will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many who follow their sensuality, because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So this is the apostle Peter warning the churches then, but also our church and the churches now, that there are false teachers, there are antichrists, they're real, they are among us. We need to be aware, we need to be ready, we need to be on guard. Jude, in his letter, the brother of James and the stepbrother of Jesus said this, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you that in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people who are devoid of the spirit. But not only did the New Testament apostles talk about and warn against false teachers, but even Jesus himself did. Matthew 24, 24, Jesus said this, for false Christ, false messiahs, and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, this is important, even the elect. This is a word of warning, brothers and sisters, to us. Not just something that happened back there, but a reality that's happening now, that antichrists are real, that they are around us. They can even be among us. We must be on guard. We must be ready. We should be warned. They are in our culture. They are in our churches. And we can even become them. Antichrist is not just someone else, but it's, it's anyone who speaks against the message of the gospel. Anyone who denies that, that Jesus is the Savior. Anyone who denies that, that Jesus is God. And anyone can drift. Some of these individuals are intentionally trying to deceive the church, but others have been lured in by just temptation. So as, as we read about this and as we study this and we wrestle through this idea that antichrists are real, that they are around us, that they might be among us, that they are not just something that the church had to fight back 2,000 years ago or 500 years ago, but it's an, an everyday reality that we fight against now, that, that leads us to wrestle through some questions, some tensions that I want us to try to answer from this text in the time that we have left. So one really important question is what is an antichrist? 
what is an antichrist? Another important question is why should we be concerned? Why should we be concerned? And then lastly, how should we respond? How, how should we respond? And so these are three questions that thankfully this passage answers. It sets us up so that we can live and fight for the truth. So let's just walk through the text again together, addressing these questions. So question number one is this, what is an antichrist? What is an antichrist? First big idea, an antichrist is someone who compels the heart to hope in false saviors instead of Jesus. An antichrist is someone who compels the heart to hope in a false savior, false rescuer, false messiah, anything other than Jesus Christ. And we can see this most clearly in verse 22. So if you have your Bible with you, you can just look at this again. Who is the liar? Talking about the antichrist. He who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Now, this is important. That, that phrase, the Christ, means the Messiah, the Savior, the one who has come to rescue us, the one who has come to redeem us. And so the, the Gnostic false teaching that, they were, that was infiltrating the church then was this idea that Jesus wasn't God, that Jesus was less than God, that Jesus was just a man. And there's different versions of this heresy that was coming into the church. But basically, the bottom line of the message is this, is that Jesus can't save you. Jesus isn't the savior. He's not the one who can rescue you. You need to look to someone else or something else. And friends, that, that is the message of our culture. That's the message that our heart runs to, to look to someone else or something else to rescue us, to save us out of our problems other than Jesus. While the controversies have changed and the lies may have changed, the root issue is still the same. Are we gonna turn our heart to Jesus, or are we going to turn our heart to something or someone else? So how do antichrist, how do they turn someone's heart? How do they help someone point away from Jesus towards something or someone else? This leads to the second big idea we see in this text. Antichrist, they do this by distorting the truth. They deceive the mind and they deny the gospel. So the way that they turn people away toward false saviors is these three things. They distort the truth. So they, they take God's word, they twist it, which this is what Satan did, right? When he tempted Jesus, Matthew 4, he, he actually quoted Deuteronomy, twisting the word that false teachers, they're going to take the word of truth and they're going to twist it to work it, to aim toward their own ends, not be faithful to this message. They're going to try to deceive the mind. Through the things that they say, it's going to be logical, it's going to feel good, it's going to be rational to you, but it's not going to align with God's word. And ultimately, they're going to deny the gospel, that Jesus plus something else, or that there's something better than Jesus. Verse 22, he says, this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father. So we see a denial of the gospel, of Father and Son. It says, let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. That's talking about the word from the beginning. In the beginning was the word. So again, we think back to the gospel of John, John 1, 1. And he's saying, anyone who's twisting the, what you heard from the beginning, the word, is an antichrist. In verse 26, he says, those who are trying to deceive you. So we see deception. We see those three things happening. Distort the truth, deceive the mind, deny the gospel. 
And so what does that really look like practically? And what does that look like in our day, not just in their day? So what I want to do, and, and all this is available on the notes online. So I'm going to move very quickly through a lot of different things tonight. You can go back and, and grab those later if you want. So what are some of the marks of an antichrist? So we've given some definition. It's someone who compels the heart to hope in false saviors instead of Jesus. They distort the truth, deceive the mind, deny the gospel. But how? How does that work? Here's just some marks that we see from this passage. First one's this. There's an abandonment of God's people. There's an abandonment of God's people. This is a characteristic. So verses 18 and 19. Children, it's the last hour. As you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. So many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So one of the marks of, of Antichrist are they're people who are among God's people, but they don't stay with God's people. They abandon God's people. They, they leave God's people. A lack of perseverance. A lack of loving the family of faith. A second mark of Antichrist is a denial of the gospel. I've already addressed this in a little bit. We see in verse 22, they deny that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. So ways that happens now is, is teaching that says there are other ways to God besides Jesus. There are multiple paths. There are multiple roads. Jesus is one or Jesus is not one. Everyone has their own way, their own path. That, that is an antichrist message. It's the denial of the true gospel or the spirituality of our, our day, this moralistic therapeutic deism. Whatever makes you feel good about yourself, that's what Jesus would be for. It's, it's a denial of our own sin nature. Denial of our brokenness. One of the ways that this gets taught in churches today is when you're a part of a church or around a teacher who doesn't talk about sin. Who doesn't talk about our own brokenness. Who doesn't talk about our need for Christ and Jesus being the only way. But false teachers who, who they, they talk about our need for self-help and self-change. And you just need to get past your past. And you just need to move forward and it's everyone else around you like instead of talking about our sin and our need for Christ it's the denial of the gospel we see this happening all the time in churches today a third mark of antichrist we see here is the denial of the trinity and this this is really the main focus that's happening in first john is that they are denying the son and denying the father they're denying that that Jesus and God are, are co-equal and co-eternal and that's a mark of Antichrist today as well. Jehovah's Witnesses would fall into this camp. They hold God and Jesus as being separate, that Jesus is created, but God the Father is uncreated. It's that same, same uh, false teaching that's there. Or sometimes the way we hear this denial of the Trinity are statements like this. I can't worship the God of the Old Testament. Like, I'm good with Jesus. But I'm not good with what happened there, what happened then. What's well, a denial of the Trinity? It's, it's a false teaching. A fourth mark is a disregard for God's word. Verses 24 through 26 speak about the truth and knowing the truth. And, and today where we see this happen is a minimization of the importance of Scripture, even a flat-out rejection of the teachings of Scripture. And the last mark of Antichrist that we see here is an elevation of new revelation over God's word. 
So in 26 and 27, he talks about not having a need for anyone to teach you. He's talking about extra revelation, extra biblical revelation. We see this happen today too. The, the Mormon faith is not just built on the Bible, but extra revelation, extra scripture that we should follow instead of. Even books, and we've talked about things like this, like Jesus calling, they fall into this camp, that you have God's word, but then you also have God's voice that speaks to you, and you follow that, whether or not it aligns with this book. Those are false teachings that we must be aware of. It's antichrist, they, they, they turn the heart away from Jesus and turn the heart towards someone or something else to put our host in it, hope in it. They distort the truth, they deny the gospel. So this leads to a second question. If that's what an antichrist is, why should we be concerned? Why should we be concerned? Another big idea, third big idea. Because we are a people whose minds are prone to deception and whose hearts are prone to wander. We, you and I, not just somebody out there, and I want this to sink in, we are a people whose minds are prone to deception whose hearts are prone to wander. We sang about this earlier tonight. How many of you have ever gotten one of those emails that, that there's some prince in some other part of the world that wants to give you like $10 million? All you need to do is just send them your bank account and your access codes and your social security number and your blood type and you'll get that. Anybody ever received one of those things? And you, you get those emails and you're like, this is crazy, who would believe this? Obviously, people believe this, right? This is why they send it out. People fall into these things. I even got one of these from Pastor Daniel like a year ago. And so watch out if you get emails from him. Someone had gotten into his account and sent one of those to me. And so the reason why that's there is because people are prone to be deceived. And you might not be deceived by that. But on a spiritual level, we are all prone to deception. This is important. Your heart and my heart is prone to deception. This is, this is why he calls this out in verses 21 and 22, if you have your scripture open. So I write these things to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. So he's saying, you know the truth, don't forget it. Don't forget it. Why is he telling them that? Because we're prone to forget. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. This is a warning to the church because he loves them and he recognizes that we are prone to self-deception. We're prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to look to things other than Jesus, to put our hope and our joy and our rest in those things. We need to be warned. Deception is real. It's being fed to your heart and mind. It's being fed to my heart and mind. Deception is being fed to your children through media and through friends and through all these things. Deception is being fed into your marriage to get you not trust and enjoy the gift that God has given you, but to look and long for something other than what he's provided for you, or maybe even into your singleness. Our minds are prone to deception. Our hearts are prone to wander. If, if you don't believe me, let me just give you some scripture. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can understand it? 
Romans 1.25, because they, everyone, exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We have all done this. We've worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We have all done this. Romans 3, as it's written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one on their own seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We are in this. Hebrews 2.1, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift from it. This is a warning. We are prone to drift. We are prone to move away from the truth. Our hearts are prone to wander from what is right. And we see this happening again and again and again, where there are preachers and teachers and worship leaders with major platforms who they were Christians, or they said that they were Christians, but now they've fallen away. They're deconstructing and reconstructing their faith. One of the ones that hurt my heart last year was Joshua Harris, who, who growing up in the faith, I, I read a lot of his books and was challenged by them, who last year said, I, I can't do this anymore. And he literally said in his post, he said, some people would call this a deconstruction of their faith. The Bible calls it walking away. That's what I'm doing. I can't believe this anymore. I can't support this anymore. I can't do this anymore. A man who championed the gospel, who wrote books, who taught messages, who led churches walking away. And if he can, this is a warning to you and I, brothers and sisters, your heart, my heart, your mind, my mind, it will be tempted to drift away from the truth of the gospel. It is being tempted and attacked to move away from the truth of the gospel. Beware, beware, be on guard, be ready. Know the lies that are around us. Know the lies that are infiltrating our hearts and our mind and our media today. Is Jesus the savior that you're trusting in tonight? Is he the one that you're hoping in tonight? Let me just give you two great prayers to pray. And these are just straight from scripture. And I would encourage you to just build these into your own rhythm and routine. Psalm 86, 11 says this, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. So when my heart's doing this, it's going this way and that way, chasing this thing and that thing, Lord, please unite my heart to fear your name. Help me to know truth. Help me to live in light of truth. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Why would Jesus tell us to pray that way? Because he's coming for you. He's coming for me. He's coming against the bride of Christ. He wants to distort the truth. He wants to deny the gospel. He wants to deceive our minds and our hearts. So be on guard, be ready. This message, it's coming at us. And your heart, my heart, is prone to wander. And, and friends, and I just speak to you, someone who loves you and cares about you tonight. For some of you, your heart is chasing some things other than Jesus. And even for everyone who's in this room who'd say that you're a Jesus follower, I would just challenge you, even tonight, to even pray before the Lord, Holy Spirit, is there anything, is there anything that I've given myself to other than you? Is there any lie of 
the culture? Is there any lie in my heart that I need this thing? Or if my spouse would just do this, or if my kids just had that, or would be this way, or if I could just go here, or just have that thing, then my life would be right. No, it's, it's found in Christ alone. We are people whose minds are prone to deception, whose hearts are prone to wander. So that leads to a last question. What, what is our response? How should we respond? What, what do we do in light of this reality? There are antichrist and that our hearts are prone to wander. The next few minutes we have left, I just want to give you some big ideas. I'll give you these quickly, just, and they're straight from this passage. First response is this. We live with the urgency of eternity. We live with the urgency of eternity. Look at verse 18. It says, children, it is the last hour. It's the last hour. What's that mean? Jesus is coming soon. Don't grow weary. Don't grow faint. Don't lose sight. Don't lose heart. He is coming soon. And again, this was written over 2,000 years ago. And we know that time is not the same for God as it is for us. But we know that Jesus is coming soon. And he says, if you look at the end of the chapter, he says, verse 28, now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back in shame. That's a heavy warning. If Jesus was to come back tonight, would you be able to step in in confidence or would you shrink back in shame because of your life, my life, our pursuit of him? So we live with the urgency of eternity that Jesus is coming again. Basically what he's saying here is wake up, wake up. So what does that mean? It means we need to be intentional. Make the most of the moments we have. Make the most of the life that we have. Make the most of the relationships you have. Your time with your kids, your time with your coworkers, your, your opportunity to be a witness wherever God has you. To give generously, to live for the gospel. Be intentional. Another thing is it means don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. Can we just be honest? Right now, there's a lot of distractions in our world. The middle of a global pandemic, we have an election coming up this Tuesday, racial tensions, all these things around us. There's a lot to distract us. There's a lot to make us worry. Are we going to have to wear masks? Am I going to have to go back to school at home and virtual? Or what's going to happen here or there? There are things that are even more pressing than those things. And this is a call to say, let's not focus just on what's happening tomorrow. Let's focus on eternity. Let's focus on the gospel. Let's focus on lostness. Let's focus on why God has put us on this planet. Don't be distracted. Make Jesus known. It's also a call to persevere. Stay steady. Stay the course. That was the message from last week. Stay the course. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Second way we respond is this. We hold fast our confession that Jesus alone is Lord and Savior. We hold fast our confession that Jesus alone is Lord and Savior. That's one of the main focuses of this passage. Verse 23, no one who denies the son has the father. Whoever confesses the son has the father also. This is a, a challenge to us. We would most likely all of us be people who say Jesus is the savior. We would say that here, but here's the challenge for you and for me. Do we say it out there with your coworkers, 
Are you quick to tell them that Jesus is their savior? Their one and only hope. With those family members who don't wanna talk about the gospel and the holidays are coming up and they're gonna be here, do we hold out the gospel anyways? Do we confess that Jesus is our hope? Do we confess that he is Lord? Do we make it abundantly clear in every avenue that God's given us that Jesus alone is our only hope and our savior? Or do we deny him by our lack of talking about it? We must hold out our confession that Jesus alone is Lord and Savior. There aren't multiple ways to God. There, there aren't multiple religions to get to God. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. The third response is this, that we would know, love, obey, and share the word of truth. That you would know the word that you would love the word, that you would obey the word, that you would share the word. Do you love this book? Do you delight in it? Do you read it? Do you meditate on it? Do you memorize it? Is it forming you? Is it shaping you? Study the word, but don't just study it. Don't just know about it, obey it. James 1, which we read last week, don't, don't be hearers only, be doers of the word, not hearers only. What does he say? Deceiving yourself. The same language. That when we know the word, but we don't obey the word, we're just tricking ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. We're making ourselves think we love the book, but if we don't obey God's word, we don't really love God's word. I love Ezra 710. It's one of the things I pray for myself, I pray for my kids. I encourage you to go back and look at this verse, but it says that Ezra, he set his heart to know the law of the Lord, to obey it and to teach it, to know it, to obey it, to teach it. Do you know it? Do you love it? Do you obey it? Do, do you teach it? Families, we talk about family discipleship a lot in our church family. During these days where our kids are home more, are you talking to them about the word? Are you praying for their salvation? Are you praying that they love and follow Jesus? Are you helping them grow? We've got all kinds of resources for you. We have study groups, we have life groups, all these means to help you pursue. Do you love the word? Do you know the word? Do you obey the word? Fourth response, we love God's family. We love God's family. Look at verse 19 again. It says, they went out from us but they were not of us, for if they'd been with us, they would have continued with us. One of the marks of a true Jesus follower is that they love God's family. They long to be with God's family. We are children of God, Church, verse three, or chapter three, verse one says. Do you love this family? Do you pursue this family? Do you fight for this family? Right now, in the middle of a pandemic, this is an easy time for us to become disunified to become distracted, pursue biblical community, lean in. Don't let all the different things of, do we have to wear a mask? Do we not have to wear a mask? Do we show up? Do we not show up? Let, don't let those things divide us or push us from the family. Let's fight for the family of God together. And a last and final response is this. We abide in Jesus. We abide in Jesus. That's what he says. Just looking at your scripture again, in verse 27, just as it was taught to you, abide 
in him. Verse 28, and now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back in shame at his coming. Abiding doesn't mean perfection in our spiritual walk, but it's position and pursuit. Position, knowing who we are in Christ, that we are loved, redeemed, bought, sons and daughters of Jesus, that our identity is rooted and anchored in him through his work alone, not our work. But it's also pursuit. It's running hard after Jesus. It's putting sin to death. It's pursuing holiness. It's loving and reading the word. It's obeying what God has called us to do. And in this passage, there's so much emphasis in it. And just these verses, over five times the word abide appears here. Why? Because John wants us to know that the only way any of this is possible, that we remain, that we pursue, that we grow, that we fight against false teaching, is when we are rooted and grounded in Jesus. Let me put it another way. There's no need for an antichrist unless there's a true Christ. Right? Why are there antichrists? Because there's one true Christ. And he is real, and he has come to save, and he's come to rescue, and he's come to redeem. So all of these false things, they spring up because there is hope, and there is one, and his name is Jesus. And so we put our hope in him, we run to him, we pursue him, we abide in him, we link our lives to him, and we follow him with reckless abandon no matter what life brings our way. I just want to invite the team to come up and lead us in a time of response. And again, I know it's a lot to dive through, but I just want to invite you to bow your heads where you are. This is a lot. It's heavy to think about. But the question I just want to ask you today is, where is your hope? Who are you hoping in today? Is your heart wandered this week? Have you been distracted by the messages that are all around? Are you persevering? Are you abiding? Are you aware of the lies that are coming into your heart and mind, coming into your home, coming into your family? Are you, are you fighting against those lies? leaning into truth. Maybe even there's some lies that, that you've been believing. This is an opportunity just to confess, to repent, to turn to Christ. We're gonna sing a couple songs tonight and the goal is just to give us some space to pray, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to, to remember our Savior to remember the one to Christ, to hope in him, and to ask the Lord to help us to be lights in the middle of darkness. God, we just ask that you do that today. We recognize our need for you. We recognize our prone to deception. We recognize our, our, our tendency for our hearts to turn away from you, to turn toward other things. Forgive us when that happens. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Teach us your truth. Let us be lovers of truth. Help us to persevere, to be steadfast, to continue on. Help us not to fall away. Help us not to believe or fall into all the false gospels and false narratives of Christianity that are all around us. 
Help us to be people who proclaim and confess that you alone are Savior and Lord. It's a world that's lost and deceived. May that be true of us. Just pray for my brothers and sisters that you'd just be with them even tonight, that you would, in these moments, that you'd open our eyes to see you and to trust you, to follow you. And for anyone tonight who doesn't know you, that even now that you would open their eyes to see that you are Savior, you are Lord, and that they would trust you and believe in you and hope in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.